It's the next level. Hmm? Ah! Huh. You ever been to Alcatraz? Take the tour? Right now you're standing on a small island roughly twice the size of Alcatraz. And that over there? That's your island. The one you've come to know and love. I just wanted you to know there's nowhere to run. You did all this just to, just to keep me in a damn cage. We did all this because the only way to gain a con man's respect is to con him. You're pretty good, Sawyer. We're a lot better. Funny thing is, us telling you about the pacemaker wasn't what kept you in line, it was when I threatened her. You work so hard to make her think you don't care, that you don't need her, but... A guy goes nuts if he ain't got nobody. You don't make no difference who the guy is, as long as he's with you. I tell you, I tell you, a guy gets too lonely and he gets sick. What the hell are you talking about? It's from Of Mice and Men. Don't you read? Come on. Let's get you back to your cage. Welcome into another episode of We Have to Go Back, Lost Revisited, as we continue our journey into the third season of Lost. Uh, I am Ben. And I am Kristen. This week we dive deeper into season three, this time with episode four. Four, yeah. Every man for himself. I forgot to change that part on the agenda, but that's all right. That's okay. I had my brain working, so I was able to quickly fix it. You, you, you should look up. You should look up the term "quickly." Well, I had to. I had to say, "Is that right? That's right. No, that's right. No, that's wrong." Okay, it's four, four, episode four. <laughs> it's almost like we could hear your brain, like the the gears in your brain. Clinking around as we, they uh, were as we clinking. tried to figure that out. That's all that they were doing was clinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, so, friend. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Been, I'm good. We pre- As we pretend like we haven't been talking for an hour before we started this recording. I know. I actually know exactly <laughs> how you are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We've already talked about everything from politics to religion to... Other people's toddlers failures. and tiaras. Toddlers. Oddly enough, that was a topic that came up. That was the last topic that <laughs> came up. Um, so I want to say before we start uh, getting into this episode, I love this episode, and it's not just because it's a Sawyer episode. It's because this episode was just 
fantastic. It was really well written. There was, you know, some suspense in it. There was a little bit of a puzzle. And there's some literary references that I think are really amazing. And I just think that it kind of had everything that I look for in an episode of television was just kind of like ticked off in a box. So I really, really enjoyed it. I do. I agree with you as well. I I think this was a great episode. And one of the things that I think I really enjoyed about it, not to say it's this is something I dislike about every other episode of Lost, but this episode, you know, we mentioned at the, when we were prepping for this that, uh, you know, I have a lot of notes, but nothing that goes into really a lot of detail. Everything is really short and to the point. This is a very straightforward episode. There's not really a lot to analyze or overanalyze as we tend to do. But at the same time, there's quite a few things that are revealed for the yeah, future of the series. Yeah, I mean, series. if this is, yeah, if this is your first watch through the series, I mean, there is a huge mic drop at the end. Yeah, that's a good way you, to put it. You know, so, yeah. I mean, I, I remember the first time I watched this episode, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's something, if you've been listening to us over the past couple, at least even just in this season, the episodes we've we've talked about, the last three episodes, the big mic drop at the end is something we've already discussed. But right. this, But this is the first point that you as a viewer for the first time are getting that big reveal. Yes. And that, you know, that's a, that's a giant 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 reveal i mean you know oh man i let's just jump right into it okay uh before let's, we let's, do let's talk about let's talk about our little disclaimers first <laughs> yes uh before we do uh as you know uh if you are new to the podcast uh just a quick word that we are spoiler full fa- format in that we will be talking about things that have ha- not only happened in the past of this of this season uh but the future of the series as well because that's uh, that's just our approach. And we feel like, you know, as in as a rewatch, that's something that should be done because it really helps you to see things in a, in a different light as you go through these watch these go through and rewatch these episodes. Yes, so, sir. So spoiler full podcast. But with that being said, yeah, let's just jump into the episode. Episode four, every man for himself. Uh, and as always, whenever I'm hosting the episode, I'll kick it off to you to start us off. Sure. Um, I am actually going to start off with, hang on, where are my thingies? Oh, with a question. <laughs> um, I would like to know, what do you think? Are the others more cruel or is it that we've always cho- we've already chosen sides so they seem like they're more villainous than, say, the Losties and the Tailies? I'm so glad you posed this question because that actually is, I think, a big question that this episode draws, uh, you know, as a viewer. And I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Uh, You know, I think there are definitely others that are 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 evil and have evil intentions. Ben definitely being one of them. But, you know, in this he's psychotic. He he really is. I mean, shaking he the bunny is and psychotic in this episode. Yeah, but at the same time, I I think there are members of this colony who, <clears throat> or, you know, and members of this group of the others who are one genuinely nice people that are just following orders, uh, aka Tom Friendly, absolutely. And, 
because I mean, there there are a couple moments in this episode where you really get the softer side of Tom Friendly, like when he's giving Kate new clothes and he's like, you know, if any of these don't fit, just let me know. Like he's being super nice about everything. And then there's people like Juliet who you could tell, even though there are others who have been killed off, like Ethan uh, and such. Juliet is kind of sheltered to all of this. Like she's kind of kept in the dark about a lot of things that are going on. This yeah, is she her seems first pretty fragile. This is her first. And you can tell by her reaction. This is legit. Her first encounter with death since being on this island. Which so, is weird. So I think, uh, you know, in, in response to your question, I think you're I think, yes, I think the writers have kind of written this brilliantly to kind of make us believe that these are the these every one of these people is the enemy, uh, you know, including Pickett. But, you know, when you look at Pickett and what he went through this season, obviously he's a he's a dick, but he was following orders. But now with everything that's happening with Colleen, he's just going over the edge. I don't think it's necessarily makes him of I mean, it does make him a villain to a degree because he's he's pounding on Sawyer. And he blames them for it. But I, I, I could see that happening to anybody, you know, even with the Losties, you know, with the survivors or the Tailies or whoever it is. You know, you look at you look at Saeed when Saeed lost Shannon. He went off the edge. This is just the opposite side of that with Pickett. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at Charlie. Charlie killed Ethan out of yeah. revenge for what he did to Claire. Yeah, so I mean, I absolutely yeah. see what you're saying, which is why it's which is why I have this question, right? Like if we were to be it, it, it's like the Walking Dead question, too, right? With Negan and his crowd. It's if we watched this story from the other side from the beginning, how how would our loyalties change? How would our views change of these two sides? Now, like the things that you had just said, you know, Juliet, Tom Friendly, Pickett, these are all characters that. In one way or another, they're following orders. And, you know, Juliet, as we know, is actually a very um, kind and genuine character. Tom Friendly is uh, another one of those um, kind-hearted characters that follows orders very well. Pickett, Pickett goes through a lot. He loses his wife in this episode, but he's still a dick. He still oh, teased yeah. Sawyer for no reason. You know, he still... Um, he he still has has been um he still has shown his true colors if you will right i mean you could be following orders and you could be following orders with glee and i think that he follows the orders with glee while tom friendly follows the orders with his head in his hands um but i i just when you so 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 you put that aside and then you look at their leader you look at Ben and like you said uh, a few minutes ago Ben shook that rabbit and I really don't care if they gave him a sedative he he displayed cruel behavior to a to an animal to a rabbit and then he like has it out like see this is our bunny I'm like whoa you're fucking psycho man like you He's are psycho and, and it's so funny because you mentioned the literary references that are in this episode. And at one point, Sawyer calls Ben Lenny. And holy shit. So I shit. have a whole thing about that. Yeah. I mean, holy shit. That's a massively true comparison. 
So, okay, then I'm just going to, um, no, I'll just wait because I, I, I do want to talk about that because there is something very interesting with the of mice and men reference throughout this episode that if you um, want to go into it, you can go into it. It's you okay. Know. I'm going to go into it real quick because I think okay. that it, it, it's a natural time to do it. Yeah. Um, so, so like, like we know Sawyer's a big reader, right? And we see him in his flashback and he's got, um, and he's reading of mice and men. If if you didn't notice that, I earlier. remember. Yep. Okay. For anybody that that maybe didn't didn't notice that he's reading of mice and men, so we already have kind of of mice and men that's stuck in our head, right? And then at the end, like what you were talking about, they're going on a hike. He feels like Sawyer feels like he's Lenny, and you know Ben is George, and then Be- uh, Ben comes out with that rabbit and. Uh, you know, Sora's just like, this is getting a little heavy handed with the mice and men. And then he quotes of mice and men, right? So mm-hmm. let's look at that book for a second. And then I want to make a few comparisons. Okay. Of Mice and Men is titled, uh, the title itself comes from an 18th century Scottish, Desmond, poem titled <laughs> To a Mouse. Now, This describes how the speaker accidentally turns up a mouse's nest with his plow. The speaker then pauses and considers how humans and animals are different, yet similar in the fact that they're both mortal. Uh, The author Burns, also of the poem, also comments on how humans and animals suffer and eventually die. The title of Steinbeck's novella, Of Mice and Men, comes from the line, the best laid schemes, oh, mice and men, gang after glee, which means that no matter how foolproof humans' plans may seem, they often go awry. So when you look at that, no matter how foolproof humans' plans may seem, they often go awry. You see that Sawyer had a plan, and now let's go back to Sawyer. Sawyer had a plan a long time ago with Cassidy to pull a long con. What happens? Clementine happens. That that plan went awry. You look at Ben, and Ben has his tumor. Now, he has this plan that he's going to get this spinal surgeon to come and take out his tumor. That plan has left the reservation. This Because as of right now, right? Jack, would, Jack wouldn't do anything for Ben ever at this point. At this point, right? We, we know the whole story, but at this point, he won't do it. Sawyer has this foolproof plan to escape. He gets the water going. He's got the whole electricity going. But what he doesn't know is that he's being watched and listened to by Ben the entire time. So what happens is that he enacts his plan and they turn off the electricity. And that plan went awry. And then you have the mic drop at the end where Sawyer and Kate think that they ca- they can escape, that maybe they can get away. Oh, no, you can't because you're on a fucking <laughs> island. So it, it's just it's very interesting to me how this theme and this title of Of Mice and Men, which is just very softly placed into the episode, actually seems to be a catalyst for the overarching theme of the episode itself. What do you think about that? You you basically just because there I did see a couple of comparisons, but you basically just took one or two comparisons I saw and threw like 15 more on top of it that I never even picked up on. I never thought to include uh, you, you know, um, 
like I, I I included the island or the the mic drop at the end into it and the rabbit. That was pretty much my extent of comparison. I never thought of bringing of bringing in Clementine as a comparison to of mice and men. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I was basically just listening to every word that you said, and there are so many more comparisons to that book and to that story that I never even I never even put together. Of mice and men is my favorite book. Really? Well, just yeah. As a, as an aside, <laughs> I, I I think that's pretty pretty obvious now by all the comparisons that you made. <laughs> so it but is no. my it's my yeah, the the best book I've ever read. <laughs> no, but but well done. That that's I didn't make a lot of those same comparisons that you did. Oh, yeah. I just thought it was really cool, and I love it that the fact I love the fact that it's uh, that the title of the book uh, takes is taken from a Scottish poem because Desmond does make a point to tell uh, Paolo in this episode that he's Scottish. I never even picked up on that. I think I just kind of went through that. I just, I just kind of let that line of dialogue just kind of pass through my head. I didn't really think there was anything to that, but now I do, which is just, you know, which is fun. I think so. Yeah. Whether that was on purpose or not, I want to believe that it's on purpose, but I just th- those are the things that I noticed uh, as far as the book and the episode go. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Uh, but how about if you talk for a while? <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Well, well, I mean, you know what? We're we're on the note of Desmond. Let's talk about Desmond the precog for a minute. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, it's, I just like calling him Desmond the Precog. I love uh, Desmond anyway, so, so whatever you want to call him is fine. We, I mean, we are getting the the the, uh, the seeds planted for something that becomes very important throughout the course of the rest of this season, and that is Desmond's ability to predict the future. And what I love about this episode and the, everything that happens is it's it's very thinly veiled what is truly behind it? Because as we do see in this episode, we see that Desmond is, you know, he approach. he's, we see him staring off at Claire and Aaron. We, we see him approach Claire, you know, I, why don't you go stay down the beach while I fix your roof? Obviously we know something is going to happen to them. And then when Charlie steps in, you know, to kind of say like, well, you know, I, I built a church. Well, that was before echo exploded, <laughs> but you know, I can, you know, I can pretty much take care of it. And Desmond being the person that he is, he's like, all right, I just thought I'd offer my help, meaning I'm going to find another way to do this. Ends up taking Charlie that Charlie is so threatened by other people. It's so funny. Anyways, keep going. I think he's threatened by anybody that approaches Claire. Like he just finally got right, Claire right. and Aaron back. He's not going to let anybody come in and take them away. You know? Right. Yeah, you're right. But. But, you know, we, we do. We see, you know, so what's he do? He takes the golf club from uh, from Nick, from Paolo and he builds a lightning rod, which is pure brilliance, by the way. Like that, that's smart, intelligent thinking by him. And, you know, we get the, the scene with uh, with Hurley and Desmond in the kitchen and, you know, Hurley walking away, which might I add his fruit salad looked delicious. Yes, it did. And I don't like fruit salad. And I wanted that entire thing. (laughs) I literally have a note that just says Hurley's fruit salad. Yeah, because it looked delicious. Yeah. Hurley's made himself right at home on the island with what it has to offer. 
Yes, he has. And I think any restaurant, whether it be lost themed or not, should offer up that fruit salad in the cone and all. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make that fruit salad a menu item. But anyway, you know, you Desmond, know, t- eat the salad. <laughs> we we see, you know, he off- Harley offers him the fruit salad. The light and the storm comes in. The lightning strikes, and it saves what we're led to believe is Claire and Aaron. <clears throat> but we are going to find out shortly. Shortly, I think probably after episode six. I think it's in the episode seven or eight. That precognition that he had was not to save Claire. It was meant to save Charlie. I know. He really tries his hardest, man. (laughs) Charlie was the one that was going to be struck by that lightning. Uh, You know, and it's just it was so interesting to watch that scene play out again for the first time in a while and and watch it watch it formulate the way it is and make you think that it was meant to save Claire because that's how we see the beginning of that scene play out is that he's staring at Claire and Aaron, but he's really not. He's staring at the hut because it's Charlie that was going to be struck by that lightning. Mm -hmm. So it, I just, I loved how that whole thing, it's the only part of this episode that we get that takes place at the beach, but I, I, I love oh, it. Other than Paolo, you know, hitting well, hitting mangoes into the ocean. Well, I could. Yeah, dude, what the hell was up with that? Like, save the food. You know, it, I think it proves that he's a dick. <laughs> well, we already know that. Sorry for everybody who likes Nikki and Paolo. But yeah, we already <laughs> knew that Nikki and Paolo were horrible people. Right. I mean, I think that this is a really nice uh, foundation to lay about uh, Paolo's character. Hey, I'm going to use the golf clubs to hit our food into the ocean, and then I'm going to be a dick about you borrowing the golf clubs that don't that really don't belong, belong to, to me. <laughs> but I'm going to pee all over them anyways and claim them. Yeah. Dick. Yeah, he's a dick. I'm in a mood today. I've swore more in this podcast episode than I have probably in you know, the last 10 combined. I don't even I really apologize. recall you swearing that much. Yeah. Oh, in this episode? Yeah. Oh, well, good. You don't hear it anymore. (laughs) I don't hear it. I'm desensitized to your swearing. Most people are. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, we've gotten to know you. It works. (laughs) Our listeners might even be desensitized to it now, too, which is fun. Thankfully, I have smart things to say from time to time, so I'm not just like some girl that (laughs) swears a lot. This is true. This is very true. But yeah, that was that was the point that I that was one of the first points I wanted to make was I wanted to bring up, you know, we were already talking about Desmond. So I figured that was a good point to bring up. Oh, yeah, I, I, I very much enjoyed this C story. I thought that this C story was was needed. You know, there's a lot of drama going on on Hydra Island. And so um, while this was some drama, it was, you know, it had a good ending and we got to check in with the beach and I love it that Hurley was there to watch it all go down and Hurley's like hey man you want some fruit salad he's like nah what do you do is that art uh it's an experiment <laughs> yeah okay like you've already yeah. I, I've already seen you do your little you know mental magic trick so I, I guess I'll just sit back and watch it happen again that's fine <laughs> I, I loved that too and he's like is it art <laughs> <laughs> When Hurley just didn't know what the hell it was that Desmond was building. 
So leave yeah. it to leave it to Hugo to give us those little moments of levity when the episode really really need doesn't really need them, but you know is getting a little too serious. I'll tell you what, though, the funniest part of the entire episode was when Sawyer's heart rate went up and he doused himself in all the water. <laughs> yep. That was the best. He's like, I need to calm my heart down. <laughs> he took all his water and just goosh right over the head. It was great. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I have I have a note of that, too, with Kate undressing in front of him and hearing and hearing the watch beep because his heart rate's beep, going beep, up. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put some clothes on. <laughs> I did like that part. I thought that part was really good. I, I also um, have a note too that uh, Sawyer and the Pacemakers would be a a, uh, a good band name. Oh yeah, new band name. New yep. band name. I call it. Yep, new band name. <laughs> Sawyer and the Pacemaker. I love it. Sawyer. <laughs> Sawyer. Uh, I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah. So I mean, if we're still on, if if we've moved over to Sawyer, sure. Uh, I love the long con that is performed on Sawyer. While I hate the person that did it, um, they got him. Yeah, they oh. were able to con him really effectively with a watch, with a watch and a big needle. Now I'd like to know how they knocked him out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was curious about that too because the needle itself—I mean, unless the needle itself was a drug to stop his heart. Um, you know, because they obviously they short of actually putting in a pacemaker, they do everything that leads up to that point. Like they even cut into Sawyer so that when he removed those bandages, he saw a wound. They did everything that they possibly could to make but him see, believe he had a pacemaker. Juliet said she's not a surgeon. So unless they have another doctor on that island, which I'm guessing they don't since they need Jack for Ben's surgery, then you know, maybe it was misdirection. Maybe it was like he's so worried about the needle and we're watching the needle as an audience member that we didn't see maybe in the background somebody putting a sedative in his arm or something. I don't know. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't notice anything. I, I don't know if that was what they were injecting into him. Was that because as far as my knowledge of anything of of you know, anything medicinal, which is very limited, um, you know, if it's not over the counter, I don't know much about it. It's, you know, when it Poor comes boy. to it, I know when it comes to a needle like that and, you know, st having to go through the sternum like they were doing, <clears throat> my my knowledge is that that's usually adrenaline that does that, that you have to do that with. That's usually to revive somebody that you right. do that. Uh, I saw Pulp Fiction. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I don't know what it's that the most whole... intense part of the whole movie. Yes, it is when she <laughs> when she ODs. Um, but, <laughs> you know, like, so I don't know what the whole purpose of that needle was unless it was to maybe with him being tied down and making him bite down, maybe it was to send him into shock. That's the only thing really I can think of. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean... The thing is, is that Ben basically told Sawyer, too, that the whole thing was a lie. I mean, if you were to believe Ben, he says, hey, we're not killers. But he has now threatened to explode Sawyer's heart and kill Kate if he tells Kate anything. So, but 
in that same speech, he says, we're not killers. So it's like, if Soria was thinking correctly, and he wasn't so freaked out about what had happened to him, and concerned for Kate, I think he probably could have been able to see through what Ben was saying. But that whole thing was executed perfectly. I mean, it it takes a pretty strong, convincing con to get one over on this character, on on James Ford. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it does. And Ben, you know, and he says it best himself, you know, in one of the final scenes. He's like, you know, you're a good con man. We're better. Like, and Ben knows it. And I mean, that's what, like... It's, it's one of those things that one I, I love and intrigues me about Ben's character, but at the same time makes Ben such a deceitful and evil character. You know, I got to tell you, this this episode just. Uh, I remember why I hate him so much. It's episodes like this that I remember why I hate him so much. I even when he has highs or lows or whatever, when he's beaten up or when he's, you know, being a good guy for 10 seconds, he still is the guy that shakes a rabbit in a cage to to con a guy into doing what he wants him to do. You know, I mean, he put Kate in that dress and gave her bre- uh lunch or breakfast or whatever on the beach as as a mind game and he's playing mind games with jack by you know showing him the world series and stuff to try and butter him up to eventually get him to do the surgery i mean this guy he he completely manipulated Locke into eventually imploding the hatch i mean this guy has not been around for very long and he has systematically broken down the top four characters in the lost uh side of the island yeah. velocity's side of the island and i think the only one that he really managed not not to get one over on is so far as saeed would you agree with that i agree with that completely because saeed's the one that actually sees through his ruse originally you know when it comes well to he dug up-, up the grave yeah i was just gonna say <laughs> when he digs up the body like he ben's like oh i didn't see you doing that Saeed was the one person who thought who so far has been able to think one step ahead of Ben. Whereas Ben is Which is interesting because Ben is easily two Saeed's but Ben and Saeed's past. Oh yeah. That they don't even know about, maybe. Yeah. Well, it's Ben's past, Saeed's future. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've, like I said, I find it funny that it's Saeed who's one step ahead of Ben, who's been able to think one step ahead of Ben. But Ben is, is able to think two to three steps ahead of everybody else. Yeah, I wouldn't want to play chess with him. No, I wouldn't want to play Parcheesi with him. <laughs> one, because I don't know how the hell to play Parcheesi, but still. That was, that was a weird pull, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first, it's for, I was going to say shoots and ladders, but, you know. Um, yeah, so it, I, I'm right there with you. Like, I mean, I'm not there with you in that. I it, this episode reminds me why I hate Ben because I, I I think it maybe while I was viewing the first time I hated Ben, but it was throughout the progression of the series that I grew to love that character. Um, and I still do. I still Ben is to, I've 
talked about it before. Ben is my favorite character from this series. And I Which think is it's- fine. I mean, he's he's an interesting character. He's polarizing character. He's he's fantastic. He's fantastically acted. Uh but he still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's interesting, too, is one of the things I thought about when I was watching this episode, because I watched it twice, as I always do. And as I was watching that cage shaking scene with the rabbit in there, I, I'm watching the cuts because I, I, I'm wondering, I'm like, OK, is Michael Emerson really shaking a live rabbit? And there are cuts where you could like there were close ups where you could see him shaking a cage, but you couldn't see the rabbit. And then other moments where you could see the rabbit in the cage while it was shaking. And then there was actually one particular moment where you could see both Michael Emerson and the rabbit in the cage alive. And I would love to talk to Michael Emerson about that scene in particular, just to see if maybe there was any uncomfortableness in what he was doing acting out that scene. I mean, I'm sure there were animal handlers on set to make sure nothing was going to happen to that rabbit. Everything they were doing was safe. But I like at me personally, I would feel uncomfortable doing that. I don't know about you. Oh, I, 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 I would be like, yeah, I can't do this. I'm That's sorry. what I mean. Like, I would, I, I would. I love just, to- I, I, I went into Walmart last night and bought two cans of cat food, and I fed two feral cats that I found in the parking lot last night. Oh, so geez. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that person that's going to do that for a show. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I would, almost, I would love to talk to Michael, and I have his his reps agent. I, I really need to. To, to reach back out to them again. But um, I would love to have like just picked his brain about that scene and be like, you know, was it uncomfortable to to do that? So, but yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah. Unless he has no heart. I, I highly doubt that's the case. <laughs> I doubt that. At least I hope that's <laughs> he not must the case. be a good guy if they wrote the character for him. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Clementine. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Because, Clementine Phillips. Because it's, you know, it's it's fun seeing Kim Dickens pop back up again, who we, you know, we're familiar with from Fear of the Walking Dead. And, you know, I've, I, I put two things together that I really never put together until watching the episode this time around. And that is, you know, obviously we see um, what's Kim Dickens character's name? Cassidy Phillips. Cassidy, that's it. Uh, we see Cassidy come in to visit Sawyer in the prison, let him know about that he has a daughter, show him the picture, and he denies it vehement, uh, vehemently. But it made me realize that Kate is the one responsible for Sawyer being in prison. Because if you remember episode two of this season, when we got mm-hmm. the flashback with Kate and Cassidy together... Even though Sawyer's name is never mentioned, Cassidy tells Kate about her being conned, and Kate is the one that tells Cassidy she should turn him in. Which is the reason why I Sawyer have no is in prison. I no memory of this for so some reason. Yeah, there is a conversation between Kate and Cassidy where she, where Sawyer, they, Cassidy tells Kate about how she was conned and Kate is the I one. I love that irony. Yeah, and Kate is the one that tells her to turn him in. So That's in, wonder. I got to go back and watch that. In very loose regard, Kate is the one responsible for Sawyer being in prison. Also, this episode is the reason why Sawyer spent time in Tallahassee. Because if you look at the badge on the uh, the agent, they are in the state of Florida. So awesome. one, one can only assume 
this was when he told people he spent time in Tallahassee. This is why. This is great. I love these connections that you're making. That's awesome. Good yeah. job. So, I mean, it's not it's not said that the prison is in Tallahassee. It doesn't but I, have to be. I, I think, yeah, I don't think it has to be. Sawyer has said he spent time in Tallahassee. Tallahassee's in Florida. This prison's in Florida. Put two and two together. This is why Sawyer spent time in Tallahassee because he was in prison. Right. That was where he was locked up. So I was very, I I used Clementine to get to that. Um, I didn't really talk about Clementine much at all, but. Well, I did, um, I did click on Clementine on the lost uh, fandom, the wiki and uh, they, she does pop back up. Uh, Yeah, I think. In whatever happened, happened. Which I think happened, is a happened. which I think is a flash forward episode. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Kate goes to visit Clementine, and Clementine calls her Auntie Kate. Yeah, yeah, that, I thought so. I knew she popped up again. I just couldn't remember exactly when. Yeah, well, she was much older, I, I guess. So, I think that that um, you know, there's a lot of missed opportunities for family reunions in this show. You know, most notably uh, is Jack and Claire. I hate that they never got to have that conversation um, ever. Oh, yeah. I really, about, really hate about it. About them being half brother and half sister. I waited for it. That's the one. That's actually probably the one hang up I do have about the series is that Jack and Claire never got to acknowledge each other as siblings ever. Well, I think I don't think Claire ever finds out. Jack does. At one right. point. Of course he, yeah. And when he goes back, I was like, oh, good. He's going back. They're going to, you know, they're going to talk about this, blah, blah, blah. No, never happened. Yeah. that Yeah, that is a shame. That was just a disappointment, right? And it, it it's kind of like, like this, right? You know, Sawyer never got to meet his daughter. Yeah. You know, he jumped off the helicopter. Um, there's a lot of those missed opportunities. Jin not, never got to meet his uh, kid. Well, I mean, there still is an opportunity at some point for Sawyer to meet his daughter the way the series ends, because he does get off the island in the end. So, I mean, there's always a possibility that after everything ended, he could have connected with his daughter. But you're right about Jin. Jin never gets an opportunity to meet his daughter. Unfortunately. (laughs) Sawyer, or not Sawyer, Charlie never gets an opportunity to see Aaron grow up. I don't even want to to talk about that because that's coming up later this season. Anyway, so it's just there's a lot of missed opportunities in in here. And and Clementine is is a reminder that, you know, this is another one of those missed opportunities. But at the same time, like how much it's one of those moments that you really like the whole flashback in this episode is what makes Sawyer like really paint Sawyer as a rough and tumble con man. He's only in it to make money the way he walks away from Cassidy when she tells him about Clementine. Like it, it, it's really, it goes to show it goes through the point of showing you the kind of person that Sawyer was. And then you get that moment at the end when he gets the commission for turning over the money to the warden and the, and the state board. And he puts the money in Clementine's name 
says to never let her know why it is. And it's that in that one moment that you realize Sawyer is, is always is and always has been the person we know him to be now. He just hid it very well. There has well, always been would, a heart yeah, under that rough exterior. In his, right. In his life, in his very troubled uh, past, kindness is weakness. Yeah. You know, and he put up a wall around him the day that, you know, his parents died. So, you know, it's understandable. And I, Sawyer is Sawyer is a great character. He's fun. He's fun to talk about. He's fun to watch. You know, he's such an asshole, but he's also just <laughs> this really kind and genuine guy underneath. He's like the quintessential hooker with a heart of gold, right? Yeah. Yeah, like I said, there's genuinely a heart under that rough exterior. It just right. takes everything that happens on the island to get it out. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, it, it's, it takes him being forced to rely on people to, to let that, to shake that rough exterior a little bit. I mean, the rough exterior right. is there, but what's underneath can be seen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, real quick to about that scene with him giving up the money uh, to the warden. Uh, this is our numbers reference of the episode as we seem to get at least one of the episode with the exception of the eight on the rabbit. Obviously that's one of the numbers too. Um, but when he tells them the location of where the Bronco is, where the money is, it's off, um, uh, off route four, four, one. So we get the four reference, uh, and, uh, unit 23 C is the unit <laughs> number. Uh, so 23 being the unit number of, uh, where, uh, the money is held. So, but that's, that's what I have about that. And I think that might be the only notes I have on, um, the flashbacks, unless you have anything else on flashbacks. No, yeah. I don't. Um, I think really the only other thing that I have to talk about is Jack. Yeah. I, I wanted, before you go into that, I wanted, I want to say for the record, Jack's not the worst this episode. No, not at all. I mean, not at all. No, he actually I'll look, I'll give him credit where credit is due. He tried to save Colleen's life, even though she was going, she was dead on the table. Um, I loved the exchange between him and Juliet when she me goes, are too. you just trying to make me feel better? And he's like, I don't care about well, how you feel at all. Well, I have a question for you when it comes to that. Do you think he's telling the truth? Yes. You you do? Because I don't. I really don't. I think if he truly did not care about her and these people, he would not have gone to save Colleen. He would not have given a shit. No. You know what? His oath as a doctor, uh, that doesn't go away. He wouldn't. He would. I mean, he no matter how he feels about anybody, he's proved that he will try and save everybody's life. I mean, sometimes he uses it to his advantage for other scenarios, and sometimes he's a dick about it. Sometimes he utilizes all of the resources to save the life of one DEA agent or a <laughs> U.S. Marshal. You know, but he has proved over and over again that his first obligation is to save a life if a life needs to be saved that's that's the oath that he takes as a doctor so i mean 
he didn't even care who was on the table. He just sprang into action. He started scru- uh, washing his hands immediately. Like it was almost like innate for him. It was I instinct. Think. Like he was like, here, I'm go. Oh, it's time to go to work. You yeah, know, it was instinct. Because you don't care, like doctors, surgeons, they don't care if the, if a murderer is on the table. They're just gonna, their job is to save that person's life. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's you true. know, um, I think that handcuffing him to the table was uh, a little cruel and unusual and disgusting. Well, that was also Ben's doing too. Um, you know, going into well, right. You know, going into what we think about Ben and how evil Ben is. I mean, I don't think it's. I don't think it bothered. Jack to be in a room with a dead body because it's that's nothing new to him. It's the right. fact I think more the the point behind that was Ben leaving him in a room with a body that his people are responsible for. I think that was more the point of that than to just leave him in a room with a dead body. <sighs> I don't know how you feel about that and what you think about that. Yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying. I agree with it. I just, you know, it just, it was cruel. I I just, I can't see Jack and Locke on the other side, like throwing in Anna Lucia's body and making Ben sit with Anna Lucia's dead body just because, you know, Michael shot Anna Lucia to get Ben out. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, if you look at the other side of it, that is that's a cruel thing to do and that's something that the other side or our side the losty side they wouldn't even think to do something like that and if i'm wrong please tell me but i i just no i don't I, think I, anybody I, has it in them to do that I not think, even saeed well nobody on that side has it in them to do it but we know that ben has it in him to do it because you know right i, I mean right, and right, even, right, right. And, and even going back into tom friendly again too like tom friendly's the one that's like hey should i take jack back and he's like Ben's like, no, let him sit in there for a while. So, I mean, yeah, it's God, like I love Ben's character so much. (laughs) I really do, because he's he's one of those characters that when you first view him, you're like, yeah, I hate this guy so much. I I can't stand him. But now that we know as as people who have watched the series multiple times and we know how his character is going to play out now, I'm just so entranced and intrigued watching him. You know, just I, it, it just those feelings. Me. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I'm so happy that you do. It's one of us should. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that that kind of wraps it up for your notes on the episode. Well, with Let's the exception see. of the mic drop at the end, which we'll still talk. about. Yeah, but I I don't know. We've kind of talked about that. But if you have anything else that you want to say, I have, about I have a couple. That. I have a couple. No. I mean, basically, the mic drop at the end is your. Yeah, we've we've talked about it already in previous episodes. It's confirmed that they are on a second island. There is another island off the coast of the main island. Yeah. Hang on. Before before you go on, um, when Sawyer was coming out of being unconscious and Tom and Ben are talking, Tom Friendly says something about it's been two days since the sky turned purple uh-huh. or the guy turned purple, and now they're blind. They don't have any comms. They don't have anything. Um, what What's happening there? Because they clearly are not blind because they're able to monitor uh, the cages. Are they talking about what's going like... I? 
Can you help me out with that one? I think, well, the sky turning purple is the second reference we've gotten to that. That is when the right. hatch imploded. When the hatch exploded. So, Correct. So, I do know that. So we know about that. I think the comms is they've lost communications to the outside world. I think they have... I think, oh, you mean like the outside world? Yes, I think they don't have any community. They don't have any communication with the outside world right now, off the island. So you think that they still like? I mean, while they can see what's going, monitor everything that's going on on Hydra Island, do you think that they can monitor anything outside of Hydra Island, like any of the other Dharma stations, or do you think that they have like communication with anybody that is on the other island? I mean, because. The the headquarters headquarters isn't on Hydra Island. It's over on the it's main on the island. Main, it's on the right? main island. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I mean, are they are they not able to be in contact with you know the main the main island people? I I just I I just have all these questions. Yeah, I don't know because we do know that there is a communication station on the island. We haven't been introduced to it yet. Uh, and we do know that at some point that is able to still reach the mainland. So um, as well as the the underwater station, which we're going to be introduced to a little bit later in the season as well, still has the ability to reach the mainland. So maybe it is. Maybe it's just that communications have been temporarily knocked out of array and it could be anything. It could be the mainland. It could be they can't reach the other island and they're kind of alone at the moment. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, it could be any of those things. But I think the the internal monitoring of everything happening on Hydra Island, I think we've gotten proof is still intact. Right, right. Well, we got proof of that um, in this episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we see Ben watching the cameras and we see him watching the cage that Sawyer is in, which, I mean, it's a, it's a great plan that Sawyer came up with, but how could you not think that they were watching? As he was telling Kate the entire plan. Because Sawyer doesn't think that way. Sawyer is kind of a boots on the ground kind of con man. He's not a, you know, eye in the sky. Yeah. Yeah, con very man. true. You know, the, I, I think that, yeah, there's two different, there's like, you know, the Danny Oceans and the, you know, other guy. Oh, God, if there was a Danny Ocean on this island, things would be so different. <laughs> this entire season it would be the end of season six would be the the entire like reveal of everything that was happening over the past five seasons and it would yeah, be amazing I gotta watch that movie again it's I a good those, movie I love those movies at least the first and third uh anyway um yeah I well also you know when it comes to Jack and Ben and Juliet I loved that opening scene with Jack and Juliet as well because you know, you can see there's a moment there where Jack is getting into Juliet's head at the same time. Which, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I completely agree. You kind of see that there might be, um, there might be a, a weakness in Juliet, and she hasn't shown any weakness yet. Well, until this point. Now right, she's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, we're starting to see a little bit of a crack in it. But did you happen to notice something that was said in that conversation that kind of is just completely glanced over. Uh, and it's something that comes into play later, but it's in this episode, it's the first time it's ever mentioned and it's just completely glanced over. But she's a fertility doctor. No, 
No, in oh. that opening conversation with Ben and Juliet, there is something well, that is me. there is something that is mentioned. The sub. Yeah, 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 yeah. The sub is back. Yep. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, what? The sub? And then it's never mentioned again. <laughs> which I loved because now it's planted a seed in the viewer's mind. Like, wait, wait, go back. They have a the, submarine. The sub? Like, you know, like, I, and I love that. They have a submarine. They have boats. They have, yeah, they, <laughs> they are a well-funded organization. Yes, they are. That um, is still in 70s attire. <laughs> so whatever that means. I, I, I only have a couple more notes, but I'll turn it over to you. Um, I'm done. Okay. Uh, then I will, I'll, I'll make these other two really quick. Um, and then the last one I will pose as a question. Uh, first off, we get the intercom. We can, Jack can hear Sawyer screaming over the intercom and he was told that the intercom doesn't work, which the first time he heard his dad this time, which is something that doesn't exist. This time he's hearing something that does exist. So I don't know what the hell is going on with the intercom. Um, and we are introduced to the real reason why Jack is there. And oh yeah, we see the x-rays. Uh, we don't know yet as a first-time viewer whose x-rays they are. We know they are of a 40-year-old man with a tumor on one of his vertebrae. Uh, but we do also find out that this is, this is going to come into play very, very soon. As in like mm-hmm. two episodes from now, this mm-hmm. is coming into play. Uh, because it's Ben's, it's Ben's X-ray, mm-hmm. and that is why he was it's there. A massive tumor. And Jack is smart to realize when he sees those X-rays. I just happen to be a spinal surgeon. Why am I really here? Who am I here mm-hmm. to save? Yep. You know, I love how everything there plays out with that scene. Well, and it just proves that Jack is no dummy. He's not. Not at all. You know, he's he gets blinded by a lot. He gets um, a little tunnel visioned in what he thinks he should be doing or how he should be acting. But, you know, Jack being by himself and not in charge of the rest of the group, I think it, it brings out some strengths in Jack that have been kind of put to the side for a while because he flounders so much as a leader of a group. But I... I do think that once he's able to kind of jump into doctor mode uh, when he goes into that operating room and as he's washing his hands, it's like that innate doctor ability in him has like switched back on after a while and he sees the x-rays. Like it's like habit that you would look at x-rays before going into uh, a surgery, but then he sees that those aren't x-rays of whatever's on the table with a gunshot wound. That's a tumor and that's in a spine. And what is that? Because that's not what we're going in for. You know, like he's starting to, to kind of figure out what's that, that there's something bigger at play. And, and it shows that Jack's very smart. Uh, he's very good at his job, which um, is something that we don't necessarily know very well. Um, we do know that he's had su- some success, but we don't know that he's that he is as good as he really is. I mean, he saw one set of scans and he was able to piece all of that together because um, he doesn't have anybody else to worry about right now. Yeah. It's just Jack. It's every man for himself. And while Sawyer takes that a little bit differently than Jack would, uh, Jack 
Jack isn't in it for himself, but he is thinking for himself and only himself. And that's probably hasn't happened since he got on the island. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's he feels uh, there's a lot of pressures that he was under that have been revealed that have been relieved. So we do we do get a truer sense of his character. So which is why I said, like, he's when I when I let off that conversation, he's not the worst this episode. No, yeah, no, he's not. I mean, he's not sure. OK, <laughs> I'll give him this. I'll uh, give him this episode. All right. Uh, the only final thing I have is posing a question, and that is uh, Kate's response to do you love him? Do you think she was <laughs> lying like she said, or do you think she really does love Sawyer at this point? Oh, yeah. I don't I don't think even Kate knows the answer to that. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> I really do it in that particular moment. I think she was saying it to save Sawyer's life. Yeah, I mean, she she definitely feels something romantic for Sawyer. Um, but. Yeah, but I, I just, you know, poor Kate. Poor Kate. <laughs> Poor Two Kate. men like her. Boo-hoo. I know. Um, I like it that her clothes were just a little too big on her. Like they didn't, they, they're not, they weren't like perfect fit clothes. Like everybody seems to have on the stupid island. Like Hurley <laughs> seems to have enough shirts. And I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> um, you know, Kate's outfit was just a little too big on her. And I liked, I liked the realism of that. Yeah. Um, and I actually do have one final note that I, I just realized because it's at the bottom and it's kind of separate from everything else. There's a very cool contrast when it comes to the title of this episode, because uh, the title of this episode is Every Man for Himself. Uh, and there is a particular line that is spoken in relation to that, but not in the way that you might think. And I go back to the speech that Jack made in season one. Every man for himself is not going to work if we can't live together we're going to die alone. The title of the episode and Kate says that and Kate says live together, die alone. I thought that was a cool comparison to the title of the episode. Absolutely. That's a nice pull. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, but yeah, if you don't have anything else, that's it for me when it comes to notes for the episode as well. No, you know, I, I don't I don't have anything else, but I, I, I do just love this episode. I just think it was it's such a fantastic episode of television probably one of my favorites next week episode five of the third season the cost of living we have to cover another character's death which is gonna suck oh. because it's a character that we love is it Adawalla Willawalla <laughs> ting, it is huh ting, it's Adawalla Willawalla ting tang walla walla bing bang yeah it's so wrong well, his name should be easier. It's Ottawale Aquino. Please, let's. We know it. I know what it is. Apologies if you ever Ottawale Aquino. Yeah, you go. You got it. You got it. And you'll never say like it right Ottawala, again. Ottawale You'll never say it right again. Ottawale Aquino. <laughs> Ottawale Aquino. Now I'm going to say it forever. Ottawale Bing Bang. <laughs> We go together like Rebelemalema, Ling Dong. What? Uh, Greece. I know where it's from. That's not the lyrics to that either. 
Yeah, it is. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we have listener feedback that we have to get to. Uh, but before- Is it Kristen? Stop, stop <laughs> mangling everything. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see how you read this feedback. Um, yeah. So as always, we have feedback that we're going to get to. And as always as well, we encourage you guys to leave us feedback for f- episodes as we cover them. There are multiple ways that you can do that. First and foremost, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash lost revisited. I mean, I guess we're on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> At Lost Revisited Pod. Oh, God, that was so great (laughs) and so casual. I mean, I guess we're on Instagram. (laughs) Uh, You can email us at lostrevisitedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to leave a message, you can record yourself and send it to our email address, which does work. I mean, I guess we're on Instagram. (laughs) Oh, that was the best moment of the podcast. Uh, (laughs) I love it. Uh, Two pieces of listener feedback this week. Uh, One in the form of an email and the other in the form of a voicemail. So let's knock out the voicemail first. And that is from our buddy, Steve Brown. Hello, Kristen and Ben. This is Steve. This is for every man for himself. And my notes are a little bit scattered here, but uh, I think I can get them across to you pretty well. Uh, Sawyer in prison. And the only problem I have with this this bit, this kind of the B plot or the flashback plot is how did the guy know that Sawyer would be able to do anything with the money outside of the prison? They don't really show us that. They don't show us. How did Sawyer convince him, you know, has Sawyer been getting things in from the outside or has he shown that he can do things on the outside? I didn't really see that. There was a disconnect there for me. Uh, interesting that Kate knows Pickett's name and it means she's been paying attention. I love seeing Bill Duke in this. And I also love that, you know, we get the impression kind of that he's maybe kind of dirty or he's maybe, you know, kind of an evil kind of guy. But then at the end, he doesn't take the money for himself. He's getting it for the government. So that's kind of cool. The intercom on the wall of Jack's cell, Juliet said it didn't work. So do you think, and I don't think we ever find out for sure, is it something that they're doing as part of the whole con to convince Jack when he's going to, uh, with what they're going to have him do in, in a few episodes? Or is that just one of those few story pots that kind of never really paid off? And, uh, the con on Sawyer is another interesting moment when Ben claims that they're better at, at it than he is and then shows him the two islands there at the end. But I think Ben knew that he couldn't let that go too long because eventually Sawyer's heart rate was going to get high enough to whether it was working on the landing strip or another bout of picket, you know, punching him. Eventually his heart rate's going to go up. And he was going to find out it was it was false anyway. So uh, I thought that was an interesting thing. Uh, Kate's line, I only said that so he'd stop hitting you about that she loved Sawyer. And then Sawyer, we get to see a piece of him here where he realizes that loved ones and family are kind of uh, a weakness. And so he doesn't tell the warden who the baby is or who. So uh, talk to you later. 
That's a really good point that he didn't tell them Clementine was his possibly his daughter to protect everybody or that it would be a, a sign of weakness. That that's a really good point. I didn't see it that way. Yeah, I don't I just I think it was just Sawyer didn't want to give him any ammunition to use against him. Mm-hmm. And by telling him Clementine was his daughter, you know, that that that's absolutely that's absolutely ammunition. Even though he's getting out, I mean the warden has no sway over him anyway mm-hmm. once he's released, but still I think it was still better safe than sorry for Sawyer. Agreed. So, uh, but thanks, Steve, for the voicemail, as always. And that leaves us with one more piece of feedback. And that comes in the form of an email from our buddy Des. And I will turn that over to you. So Des Combe says, remember when Jack was given shit about leaving Sawyer and trying to carry Kate when they were attacked by the others? So this episode is called Every Man for Himself. Who says it this episode? Not Jack. In fact, Jack refuses to operate on Ben until he finds out Sawyer's life depends on it. Man, Jack really is the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm done giving you a hard time. And this is actually one of my favorite Sawyer episodes. You could put Sawyer's pacemaker in the file of things I had forgotten about. We get to see Kim Dickens again, if even only for a moment. I even forgive Sawyer for the everyman comment. He honestly thought that there was nothing he could do for Jack and was only acting to protect Kate. One sad thing about this episode, we realize one character's final story arc is starting while another's is a just about to end. About Nikki and Paolo, I'm curious if maybe they were trying to set Paolo up as a replacement for Sawyer's place earlier in the series. Sawyer has moved into the hero role, leaving a place for a Mr. Negative character. Nikki seems to want to help out, even if it's just out of boredom. Who am I kidding? They're <laughs> awful. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, we agree with Des on something. On everything that he just said, yeah. Yeah. Every last thing. Yep, yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, it's... um. I had a point and I completely forgot it. Sorry. Uh, look, Des, we said freely that Jack was not the worst this episode. We have our moments. Begrudgingly, enjo- but yes. Yes. We have our <laughs> moments where we enjoy Jack as a character. This was one of those times. So, but that's all yes. I have to say about that. That's all I have to say about that, Forrest Gump. <laughs> uh, but thank you, as always, for the feedback. And we welcome any feedback for future episodes as well. I think that's just about going to wrap it up for this episode of the podcast. Next week, as I mentioned, season three, episode five, The Cost of Living, which is a Mr. Echo flashback episode. Uh, and sadly, the end of his, of a character as well. Which we've already said who it is. It's Echo's character. It's the, the death of Echo is next week. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, Charlie helped build the church, so that matters. <laughs> before <laughs> before Echo exploded, that matters. That matters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. It's so bad. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. <laughs> uh, Anything from you, any final notes, things you want to recommend to our listeners before we get out of here? Oh my gosh, I do not have much. I just ordered a book that I read the introduction to and it was really good. It's uh, it's he will not by, eat it on a boat. 
It is Ruth Bader Ginsburg's My Own Words, and it's a collection of all of her writings and speeches and decisions and dissents um, that's all kind of together. And she writes a really nice introduction as well. And if you've ever heard her spoke, uh, spoke, if you've ever (laughs) heard her speak, clearly I don't spoke very often. Um. For me, uh, I was able to kind of hear her voice as I was uh, reading it, and I just um, I wish that I had time to sit down and read the whole thing. But sadly, right now, I do not. Yeah. How about you? Uh, well, I do have one big recommendation that I know it, you are going to approve of, and that is the return of the Great British Baking Show. Yay! <laughs> Which we are both massive fans of. Your family is a fan of. Uh, me and my friends are huge fans of it. Season 10 has just kicked off on the BBC and will be airing episodically on Netflix, which is something Netflix usually doesn't do. So but it's going to be very interesting. But 10th season, can't wait to start watching it and can't wait to start uh, starving as I watch every episode of Delicious Pastries. Yeah, you got to get to bacon, man. I know. Make some cookies. I should. Just make, make sure some bread. Bread's make, pretty easy. Make sure they're not going to have any soggy bottoms. No soggy bottoms. No and soggy don't bottoms. overprove it. <laughs> if you've never seen the Great British Baking Show, highly recommend it. It's on Netflix. It's just a super addicting. It contrasts to all of the American. Like if you're a big Ramsey fan, you might not like this because I- I'm a huge it's Ramsey kind. fan, but I love it. It's, it's very kind. kind. Everybody is extremely pleasant and nice. Mm-hmm. So it's what U.S. baking shows are not. Yeah. But that's why we love yep. it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, my seven-year-old daughter wanted to watch Cupcake Wars not too long ago and actually asked for it to be turned off because she could not stand how awful the contestants were to each other. Well, because for them, I mean, it's in the truest sense of competition means that they have to like insult each other. Right. You know, and that's what a lot of unfortunately American competition shows have become. You know, yeah. they've become con- you know, deceit and and verses and you know, Great British Bake Off is great because you know, they help each other even though it's a competition, which I just I love. It's it's so addicting. Yes. Season 10. I completely agree. Season 10. 10. 10. Ten. <laughs> give it uh, a ten. <laughs> Where the hell was that from? Varsity Blues, man. That's it. It's a ten. It's a ten. I give uh, it a ten. A fucking ten. I do not want your life. I don't want your life. Oh, that's it. I don't want your life. <laughs> it's such a good movie. <laughs> I love that movie. I really know I want to watch it. Yeah. There we go. That's another recommendation. Go watch Varsity Blues. Go watch Varsity Blues right now <laughs> if you haven't seen it. Like, turn this off and just go sit on the couch and lose yourself in 90s goodness. Yes. Turn it off and lose yourself in. Um, I don't think it was 90s, was it? It was probably in the early 2000s. No, I think it was 90s. I think it was like late 90s. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But it was late 90s, early 2000s. But go lose yourself in James Vanderbeek, Ali Larder, Scott Kahn. Um, and very ba- skinny, very skinny Scott Kahn. And Bacon the Pig. 
I love that. I love that dog. (laughs) I believe it's a pig. Yup. Yup. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, thank you for being a part of the podcast family. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and all that you guys do. But until next time, we'll see you further on down that rabbit hole. Take care. Just don't shake that cage. And when you get to that rabbit hole, don't shake it. I'll come after you. Say goodbye. Bye. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back. <laughs>